Thanks. Cool. Hey, everybody. Missed you guys. There we go. Okay. Hey. Good to see you again. It's been a while. Uh, Austin and I missed you a lot last week. And honestly, it felt really weird not being here. I feel like every single Wednesday for the past, like, two or three years of my life, I've been here. Uh, but Austin and I had a really good time at this conference we went to last week. And it, it, was, it was really good. I mean, we learned a lot. Uh, and still thinking through a lot of things that we want to implement here to make this better. Uh, and we also had a good time as well for our chooser and adventure night. We actually went to Disneyland, and I got to ride Space Mountain for the very first time. Uh, I've probably never seen Austin happier in a place like Disneyland. He is actually younger than a middle schooler. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but anyway, as I, was, uh, as I was there, I was reading through the Bible reading plan, and right now we're in the book of Numbers, which isn't really talked about often, but it's where God's people are just kind of wandering around for a long time, and God is just directly speaking to all of them. And it's really, like, weird when I think about it. I don't know about you guys, I've never heard, like, a very audible voice from God just telling me to do something. So it was a pretty unique time for all of them, and it kind of begs the question, how does God talk to us right now? Like, how, how does God communicate things to us? Because if you're like me, and you haven't really heard an audible voice from God, and if God is the same as he was back then, then he still should be talking to us. And for a lot of people, I think this is really hard. In fact, it's hard for me sometimes not hearing from God or thinking that God is not speaking to me at all. I think that can actually cause a lot of distrust that can cause a, a lot of people to have a hard time believing in God. And that we're addressing today. What we want to talk about is this. We might actually be looking for God in all the wrong places when we're trying to figure out how he's speaking to us. Because what Elihu is going to argue here, that God is constantly speaking and that he can use just about anything to get our attention. Our big idea tonight is just that. God can use anything and anyone to draw people closer to him. Tonight, as I said, we're talking about Elihu, which we haven't, he's kind of a weird guy. Like, we've been reading through Job, and Job's had these three friends who he's kind of been arguing with, right? Job's been suffering. He's been going through a lot. He's got three friends that are telling him, hey, you sinned. You messed up. Job is like, no, no, I'm good. Trust me, I'm good. Uh, And they've kind of just been going in a cycle like that for a long time. And something happens in chapter 31. Job just kind of lets it all out there. And he kind of breaks a little bit. He gets a little bit right. He says, God, you haven't been speaking to me. This isn't fair. I don't know what's going on. You you are required to answer me. Those are his words to God. And as soon as that happens, this guy named Elihu kind of pops up out of nowhere. And he gives a very long-winded speech. He is not happy with Job. And he goes on for five chapters straight of just talking to Job and his friends. It's actually pretty funny. So let's look in Job 32. Let's see the, the first part of what happens here. So these three men, that's Job's three friends, they quit answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. That's saying, God, I deserve an answer. I'm putting myself above you. You need to talk to me. Elihu, son of Barachel, Barachel, Barachel. The Buzite from the family of Ram became angry 
He was angry at Job because he had justified himself rather than God. He was so angry at Job's three friends because they had failed to refute him and yet condemned him. So like we said, Elihu just kind of comes out of nowhere, and we're going to see that unlike Job's other friends, who they get a lot of stuff wrong, Elihu is actually pretty solid in what he believes and what he says to Job. His perspective isn't totally perfect, but he's got things right than Job's other friends. See, Elihu argues that the friends have been pretty wrong about the way that they've approached the situation, and that God actually has a very, very intentional plan for suffering. Let's see what Elihu says to Job and his friends here. We're going to look at one of these passages. Uh, I'll say this a lot. This book, or like this little speech from Elihu is longer than a lot of books in the Bible combined, which is just crazy. He like, he goes off. Um, let's look at chapter 33, starting in verse 13. This is Elihu talking to Job. He says, why do you take God for not answering anything a person asks? For God speaks time and time again, but a person may not notice it. In a dream, a vision in the night, when deep sleep comes over people as they slumber in their beds, he uncovers their ears and terrifies them with warnings in order to turn a person from his actions, suppress the pride of a person. God spares his soul from pit, his life from crossing the river of death. A person may be disciplined on his bed with pain and constant distress in his bones so that he tests bread and his soul despises his favorite food. This is a weird set of verses. I'm going to be really honest. It's kind of, I don't know. I don't really know what to do with it when I first look at it. So let's take God at it with the Adam Pfizer translation. Uh, this is essentially what Elihu is saying here. He says, Job, God doesn't need to answer every little thing that you ask about in the way that you want him to ask to answer you. Uh, he's God. He speaks in a lot of different ways. Even if it hurts, uh, he's doing it because he doesn't want you to hurt himself. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, so the Adam Pfizer translation is not an actual translation. Uh, it's limited to a very few verses, particularly Job. But uh, yeah, anyway. There's a few things to unpack here. We've got to figure out what this thing called the pit is. Because that, that's just kind of weird. It's kind of ominous. It's kind of freaky. And there's good reason for that. Um, it's directly contrasted with an idea of life. Elihu talks about it a lot. So something that is the opposite of life you see where I'm going here? When somebody dies, you dig them a grave or a pit, and you put the body down. Elihu's talking about death here when he's talking about the pit. So if this idea of the pit is death, that's essentially separation from God. When we are not connected to God, when we are not walking with him, the Bible describes how we are dead in our sins. So according to what Elihu is saying here, God thinks that it's worth it for us to go through suffering now, if it means we're going to avoid the pit or death or separation from him later. What does that entail? Okay. Spoiler alert. We do things in our life now that are not actually good for us. They're not actually getting us closer to God. They're not giving us abundant life. Uh, they actually damage us. And all of the time, we don't actually see these things. We don't see how they're affecting other people. We just mess up a lot. And, like, a lot. Uh, according to this passage, our actions are either leading us to life or they're leading us to the pit. And what Elihu is saying is that God cares about you enough to put a big warning sign in your life sometimes and speak to you so that you're not going down into the pit. I know this is true because it's happened to me in my life. Uh, when I was in high school, this is going to sound really hard to believe, guys, but I actually dated a few girls. I know, I know you wouldn't believe it, but it happened. 
Uh, and to be honest, when I was in high school, I did not have the best intentions for being in a relationship. I was actually kind of an idiot. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I don't really know what I wanted out of a relationship. I, my standards for, for a girl were, oh, she doesn't drink and she's pretty. I'll date her. We'll do it. We'll hang out. Uh, and that was kind of all I wanted. I didn't really know much else. I, I didn't set standards for myself. I didn't really set any boundaries. And it didn't really work out too well for high school Adam. Uh, believe it or not, all the relationships actually ended. Uh, and high school Adam had a hard time with that. Like that, it was hard. There was a little bit of suffering there. A little bit of heartbreak, lost friends. But here's the thing. I'm actually really thankful for that now. It took a long time for me to get those warning signs that God was putting in my life. And it took a few girls to, for God to finally get me to see that, hey, Adam, you're doing something that's good for you. Uh, maybe you should consider stopping or doing something else. What Elihu is saying, one of the big ways that God speaks to us is through warnings so we don't mess up in the future. And if those warnings mean that we have to suffer a little, it is worth it. Actually, okay. And so early on in high school, I missed a lot of those warnings. And it took me a long time to finally realize that pursuing shallow relations won't actually get me anywhere. And it's actually hurting me and hurting other people. And God might have to do this in your life. Uh, in fact, Elihu says that as well. He might be like me, and you have to learn over and over again by messing up a lot. Uh, look at Job 33, 29. Uh, this is Elihu talking again. God does all these things to a person. This is talking about those warning signs. Twice, even three times. That was my case. To turn them back from the pit that the light of life may shine on them. So to break that down, uh, turning people away from the pit is actually turning them away from life. So we have a God that cares about us enough to allow us to suffer. Now, why do I think that those old relationships were God's way of kind of speaking to me and helping me grow? Because we see it in Scripture. This is really big. Whenever you think that God might be speaking to you in any way, go back to Scripture. Go back to Scripture. Because if what you think is not lining up with the God of the Bible, it might not be of God. But if it is, if you can see signs in Scripture that might actually point to something you're feeling or something that you might see in your life, talk to somebody about it. Pray about that. Two of the biggest things I did not do when I was younger in my life is that I didn't rely on the Bible. I didn't invite people into my life who I trusted. I didn't let people hold me accountable. I didn't let people check me before I messed up. Luckily, though, God had a lot of grace on me. I'm really happy that I went through suffering. Once again, it's weird to say that. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but I'm really happy that God allowed me to suffer early on so that I wouldn't hurt people in the future, that I wouldn't hurt myself, right? If I went down that path, uh, I'd probably be distant from God. And that idea of, of being happy with suffering, uh, even in the moment, is something that comes up a lot in Scripture. Elihu talks about it a little bit, once again. Uh, the guy talks for a long time. We can't directly look at every single thing he, he talks about, but go back, read for it. Um, yeah, Elihu's speech doesn't really tell us why we suffer, but it does show us how we can suffer and how we can suffer well because God would actually be doing something with the hard things that you go through. I think today this is not really a very popular message, right? Typically, when we feel things that are uncomfortable, 
We just want to get out of the situation. Like, we desire comfort above just about anything else in our life. Here's an example of that. Literally yesterday, uh, I would not call myself a runner. I go on runs a lot. I'm not that good at it. Um, I have two roommates who are really, really fantastic runners. Like, they just do, like, 13-mile runs like it's nothing. They're, like, a seven-minute pace. They're crazy. They're ridiculous. And sometimes I'll go out and run with them, and I just feel terrible about myself because I'll go, like, three or four miles, and I have to stop, and they just go for like another hour, and it's like, oh, okay, my gosh. But I woke up yesterday, and I told myself, all right, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to run. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I get downstairs. I eat breakfast. I drink some water, and I go on my run, and like a mile in, I'm running. I'm like, oh, my tummy hurts. And it didn't even hurt that bad, but I, my stomach hurt a little bit, and it was enough for me to be like, ah, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to just walk home. And I walked for like a half mile home. I didn't even finish the run. But that just goes to say, your brain tells you, hey, when something is uncomfortable, do whatever you can to get out of it immediately, as soon as possible. And I don't actually think that's the right way to do things. I don't actually think that's very helpful or or healthy to us a lot of time. See, the thing is, uh, if we just try to avoid discomfort and avoid suffering for as long as we can, we're going to get really disappointed because suffering is going to come. But also, we need to view suffering a little differently. And maybe Elihu's on to something here. Maybe God's an intentional plan for growing you through suffering. So that's one of the biggest things we see here. God can speak through that. When you're experiencing suffering, there's an opportunity for growth. And Elihu even says, once again, I have time to look at everything, uh, God will deliver you from that suffering. So even if it is really difficult in the moment, one day you might look back at that and say, God, thank you for letting me learn from that. One last look at tonight. And this one is actually really, really cool. It directly pertains to you guys, specifically. Like in middle school, where you are at right now. This passage isn't just about the things that Elihu says. Part of it is actually about who Elihu is and how he goes about conveying his message. See, like Job's other friends, Elihu is not perfect. He's one of us. He's human. We're made of the same stuff. Uh, he's actually really prideful. He tells Job, the one with perfect knowledge is with you, when that's really not true. Uh, he isn't correct about absolutely everything, but once again, he's mostly right. But here's the thing. All that is a big deal considering who he's around. Remember, Job had three other friends, and Elihu hasn't spoken until this very last point here. And here's why. Look at chapter 32, starting in verse 4. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they, all of Job's other friends, were older than he. But when he saw that the three men could not answer Job, he became angry. Now why was Elihu angry? Well, he's the youngest guy there. All the other people are supposed to be more wise than him, right? Typically, we have a kind of a stereotype that the older you are, the smarter you are, the wiser you are, and generally... That is a very true thing. You're exposed to more. You have more experience. But the reality is, if you don't know God, you're ultimately lost. It doesn't matter who you are. If you do not know God, you can't know wisdom. I think, ultimately, true wisdom comes from a fear of God, not just through age. Being old means you have a pretty high likelihood being wise, but true wisdom really does come from God. And so here's the truth we learn here. God can use you, even if you're young. Case in point, I'm 20. Austin's pretty young too. Relatively, eh, you can get old. 
But what I'm saying is, it's not like God waits to use you. He uses you where you are at right now, and he can speak through right now. If God can speak through a young guy, Elihu, who got more right than all the other old guys that were there, he can use you guys too. I think that's fair. And I think it's true because it happened with me. If you were here with us at Elevate, um, I talked a little bit about my friend Josiah. I was in middle school. I was not connected at all. Like, I would come to Sunday mornings. I was a nerd, and I wanted to read about the Bible. Uh, but Wednesday nights, no, I was way too serious. I was way too antisocial and kind of a bum. Uh, and I didn't want to hang out. But Josiah kept wanting to hang out with me, and he kept connecting me to people here. And because of that, I'm here now. And my faith is greater than it was then. Uh, I'm learning more than I was then. And really, I, I have a lot to thank Josiah for. But it started back in middle school when God allowed him to speak into my life, when God allowed me to experience God through him. And that was really, really special for me. Like, I, had never, I would never be here if it wasn't for someone who was willing to just let themselves be used by God, no matter how young they were. So I want you to think now, as we leave, think about the influence you have on the people around you. Maybe there are people you interact with on a day-to-day basis. Maybe they're here at ASM. Maybe they're at school. Maybe it's your one life. I don't know. Uh, but the reality is you have influence over other people. The things that you do, the way that you speak, who you are will influence other people. It will influence the way that they view you. And I was encouraged by what Paul wrote to uh, one of his main guys, Timothy, with this message. He says, don't look anyone down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I'm going to say this one more time. Think about the people you have influence over right now, the people in your life. God will speak through whoever he wants to speak, but he wants you to be a part of it. He's going to do what he wants, ultimately. He's going to speak through who he wants. To. He spoke through Josiah, but he invites us to be part of what he's doing. So I want you to consider this as we look at the verse. Um, doesn't matter if we're young or not, but our conduct and our mannerisms do matter. A lot of the time we can actually get in the way of God speaking, whether it's putting off kind of a front or whether we're not displaying Christ well. If we look back here, conduct yourself, set yourself example, set yourself as an example for other believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. It doesn't start when you're older, it starts now. And God can speak through you. God can use you. I'm going to invite the worship team back up as we think about that. And let's, uh, let's all stand. Let's prepare our heart to worship one more time. And I'll pray for us. God, thank you again for this book. Uh, thank you for communicating to us through your word, first Lord. Thank you for showing us who you are. Thank you for putting people in our life that will point us back to you. Thank you, God, for the hard things that we go through. Uh, thank you for, for getting our attention when we need it most, Lord. Pray that you would help us see the ways that you're working in our lives. Help us see the ways that you're trying to get our attention and communicate to us, God. So thank you again for bringing all of us here. Pray that we lean into your word more, that we'd want to understand, that we'd want to get to know you and lead others to you as well. In your name we want to pray. Amen.